You are listening to the Bellator Christi podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristi.com. Now join your host, Brian Chilton, as we enter the arena of ideas. continue our study in the book of Acts. Uh, Today we're going to be in Acts chapter 4 uh, verses 23 through 31. Uh, Acts chapter 4 verses 23 through 31. Uh, We encourage you to grab your copy of God's Word as we uh, prepare to look into what the truths that God has for us today. And we also encourage anyone who can and is able to, to please stand in honor of the reading and hearing of God's precious Holy Word. Now just kind of give you a backdrop with what we've been talking about. If you remember, the day of Pentecost has taken place. Uh, Peter and John and the early disciples, they're preaching at the temple, telling people about the truths of Jesus and who He is, and, uh, and they get in a bit of trouble because of this. And so the religious authorities come to, to Peter and John, uh, to the early disciples, and they say, listen, you can't be preaching in the name of Jesus. You can't do this. And so they threatened them with bodily harm if they continued to preach in the name of Jesus. And so uh, the disciples, well, they were reprimanded and they came back, came back to the place where they were gathering. And that's where we pick up. They pray a very powerful prayer. A prayer for boldness. A prayer that despite what suffering may happen, despite what problems may occur, no matter what should take place, that God would grant unto them the boldness to persevere, to stand despite the troubles and trials, that they would be found to be faithful in and through it all. So we do encourage you to stand, if you're able to, as we read God's precious holy word. Uh, Acts chapter 4, verses 23 through 31. 
The Word of God says, And being let go, so the religious authorities let the disciples go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, Why did the nations rage? Why did the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius uh, Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. Now verse 28 is a very powerful verse. To do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. There's a whole lot more we could talk about that single verse and how it interchanges with everything uh, that's been spoken of previously. In fact, on the next podcast that I do, I'm going to talk about this, uh, which I hope to get out maybe this afternoon sometime. Now, Lord, look on the threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. Notice, they didn't ask, they didn't didn't expect that the suffering would be taken away. They didn't expect that the problems would, would subside. They knew that if they stood for Jesus Christ that there would be problems. They would have enemies because of the gospel message, but they just prayed, Lord, that your servants with boldness may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Dear kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and what it means to us. Simply allow me to be your mouthpiece this morning. Allow me to speak the words that need to be spoken, holding back any words that don't need to be spoken. And in and through it all, Lord, we ask that you would uh, open our eyes that we would see, our ears that we would hear, and our hearts that will apply these truths and be better for it. For it's in Jesus' name we ask all these things. Amen and amen. You may be seated. I've got a... I I was struggling how to start this message because... uh, you know, thinking about different ways that I could, could just enter, enter into this. And I was talking with Jennifer the other night, and we were talking about, you know, stories of boldness, stories of courage. And my mind went back to all the kids in this, in this last play that uh, Grayson had an opportunity to participate in. And the same is true for any of the plays that we have here at church. You know, you go through the rigors of practice. You practice, and you practice, and you practice, and you practice some more. And, and sometimes it can get frustrating. You know, seeing all these kids ranging from six years old all the way up to 29 uh, who participated in this play, a lot of times they practice for five hours at a time or each day, many times almost every day of the week. And it, I'm sure it got old to them, but when they stepped on that stage, I think they experienced bravery. It, it, they experienced bravery to be able to stand in front of the people and do what they did. Ruth Ann warned me, she says, Brian, you know, because their, their, their grandson Mason performs quite a bit. She said, Brian, when you see him come out there, try to keep your head from exploding with pride because you're just going to be all filled up. And sure enough, she's right. To see those little kids come out there and do what they did, what an amazing thing that it was, and what boldness it took for them to do that. Now, beloved, as we as Christians, we as Christians must also have boldness because we're facing a world that has greatly rejected Christ. We have, we're facing a culture that is uh, turning its eyes, turning its ears away from the risen Lord. And we as Christians 
have really truly always been in the minority as far as those who've truly accepted Christ. And beloved, as we take our stand for Christ, we need boldness to be able to stand in the streets, to be able to stand and tell people about the love and grace and mercy of our risen Savior. Understand that when we take a stand for Christ, things will not always be sunshine and roses. But God will give us the boldness, give us the perseverance to make it through any task that comes our way. As Warren Wearsby once said, our values determine our evaluations. Uh, if we value comfort more than character, then trials will upset us. If we value the material and physical more than the spiritual, we will not be able to count it all joy. If we live only for the present and forget about the future, the trials will make us bitter, not better. Beloved, we're all going to face trials in life. They're going to come. It's an absolute certainty. But what we have through Christ is we have the boldness to endure anything that comes our way. And so what we find with these believers is absolutely amazing. They didn't pray, Lord, take away all these sufferings, take away all these burdens that we're facing. Rather, instead, they said, Lord, give us the strength, give us the strength to stand despite what may come our way. And so this morning we want to talk about the believer's prayer for boldness. What needs to go in our prayer, our desire, as we seek to have boldness in the Lord? Well, the first thing we find in verses 23 through 26 is the prayerful recognition of boldness. There are a couple of things we must recognize in order to understand our need for boldness. And the first thing is we must recognize man's problem to rebel. As human beings, it seems like individuals, we as human beings, since the first moment creation, since the first moment humanity stepped forth in creation, we've wanted to have a Burger King theology. We've wanted to have things our way, haven't we? We want things done the way we want them done. We want to be self-sufficient. Uh, we want to be independent. That's what happened with Adam and Eve, wasn't it? You remember the story? Um, when God came to Adam and Eve, he, he asked them, he says, uh, did you eat that apple I told you not to eat? Instead of just saying, yes, we're guilty, Eve says, well, that serpent made me do it. The, the, the devil made me do it, is what she said. Uh, and he asked Adam, he says, did you eat the apple? And, and notice, notice what he does here. He says, God, that woman that you gave me, she made me do it. No one, took, no one took the blame. In, in essence, Adam is blaming God for giving him the woman who led him to eat the apple. Isn't that just like us? Isn't that what we do? We want to blame everybody else for the problems we have instead of facing our own rebellion, instead of facing our own issues as human beings. But that's man's problem. Uh, we're a rebellious sort. We're born with this inclination to sin. We see this in verse 23 uh, by, by the chief priests. By, instead of hearing what they had to say, they were automatically rebellious because they did not like this gospel message. We also see in verses 25 and 26 that God, through the Holy Spirit, uh, through the mouth of your servant David... Uh, it indicates that the, the nations rage, people plot vain things, the kings of earth take their stand. Nothing's to God by surprise. It's a natural human tendency to rebel against the things of God because we want things our way, the way we want them, instead of the way God wants them. You know, I was talking with, uh, you're talking about Grayson's play and everything. I had a chance to help out uh, build, building the set, and it's almost frustrating. They spent weeks and weeks and weeks building this set, and it took all of 40 minutes to tear it down. 
I think that's just something I ain't right about that. You know, weeks and weeks to build it up and 40 minutes to take it down. But I was talking with the director's mother. Uh, she, she goes to church there in Yakinville. And I was talking to her. We were talking about the problems that, that come in churches sometimes, divisions that take place. And how is all of this a shame? You know, we as a church, we as a people of God, we're supposed to be united. Amen? We're supposed to come together. We're supposed to, and it doesn't matter if you're a Methodist, Baptist, Pentecostal, whatever. If you're a child of the living King, we're supposed to be coming together, being one people of God. We shouldn't have all these divisions, should we? We shouldn't. And she said something that resonated with my heart. She says, you know, Brian, I think a lot of the problem is, one, we're human beings. <laughs> and she says, she says, as human beings, we just, we just fail to forgive one another. She says, if we learn to forgive one another and let things go, this would be a whole lot better world. And I said to that, amen. And isn't that so true that if we as human beings would turn our lives over to God and learn to live the way God has, give, uh, has told us to, instructed us to, as He has forgiven us, we're commanded to forgive one another. If we would just simply do things God's way, things would be a whole lot better, wouldn't they? They, they certainly would, I believe. Humanity has a rebellion problem, and, and because of this, we must understand this problem of rebellion. We must understand sin. You know, I don't get any pleasure talking about sin. I don't get any pleasure talking about the things that wrong that's going on in our society. But if, in order to fix it, we have to recognize it. And that's what the early believers did. They recognized humanity's problem to rebel, but they also recognized God's power to provide. And verse 24, there's a very powerful term. They raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord. Now the word in Greek, normally for Lord in the Greek New Testament is the word kurios, meaning that God is, is, uh, is, is our Lord, He is our Master. But they use a different word here. They use the word despota. We get our word despot from this. And this word, it, this word means indicate someone with absolute power and control over all things. And notice what they say, that this Lord, this despota, uh, the absolute sovereign God, is the one who made heaven, that means he is absolute ruler over heaven, and earth, he is the absolute ruler over earth, and sea, he is the absolute ruler in the sea, and all that is in them. That means to say that God owns the copyright to everything. <laughs> he owns the copyright to your DNA. He owns the copyright to all of creation. God is absolutely in control, unequivocally. He is the absolute power. And, they, and the early Christians recognized this. They recognized the fact that God was the absolute sovereign ruler of all things. You know, there are certain things in life that really bother me. I have to be honest with you this morning. One thing, one thing, there are a few things in life that really get under my skin. And one is when people abuse kids. I have very little sympathy for an adult that abuses a young child. Amen? Anybody else that way? And I'm the same way when it comes to, to the elderly. I have no use for someone that's going to abuse a helpless person lying in a bed who can't defend themselves. And I can't stand bullies. You know what? I really can't. I cannot stand bullies. Because what bullies try to do is they try to superimpose their own will, even if it means going over top of the will of God. But if we understand what the Bible is saying in this part, understand when we make God the sovereign ruler of our lives, He becomes the big dog. Amen? 
He becomes the big dog of our lives. And all these bullies in our lives, all these individuals who manipulate and all these types of things, they become like little yapping chihuahuas. Amen? Like little yapping chihuahuas. Anybody ever seen a yapping chihuahua? Boy, they're noisy, aren't they? They grab hold of you, they're going to nick you a little something, but it ain't going to be like some big old pit bull or something like that. They can clamp on and do some damage. They might nip at your heels or something like that. But when you understand that God is absolutely in control of this world and of all creation, He's the big dog. And beloved, Christ tells us, don't fear man who can kill the body only, but fear God who can kill both body and soul in hell. If you make God the big dog of your life, all these other little problems become like little yapping dogs. Amen? Like little yapping dogs. Anybody else believe that? If you hear you say amen. amen. The Bible, I believe, uh, as the calendar uh, said, evil is powerless if the good are unafraid. And so many times in our lives we live with fear. We live with fear about what someone can do to us or what someone's going to say about us. And this is what could have easily happened with the early Christians. But instead of worrying about what the religious authorities were going to do to them, they instead turned their lives and depended upon God. They trusted upon the absolute sovereign ruler of all creation, that he had the power to do all things. Number two, the prayerful remembrance of boldness is, in, is important as we pray for boldness in our lives. The prayerful remembrance of of boldness. 27 and verse 28 we see this. For against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. Look what he says in verse 28. Now verse 27 is important because they freely chose to rebel against Christ. They freely chose to rebel against Christ. But look at verse 28. To do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. What a powerful verse that is. They freely chose to rebel against Christ, but it didn't take God by surprise, did it? Because He knew from the foundation of the world what was to take place. Verse 27, they first of all remembered the boldness of Christ's stand. In verse 27, they recognized the fact that Jesus remained standing despite what Herod, despite what Pontius Pilate, despite what the Gentiles and even the people of Israel, his own countrymen turned their back on Jesus. Anyone ever been betrayed? Anyone ever been betrayed? <laughs> it's okay, you can raise your hand. <laughs> Anyone? At some point in time, we've been betrayed. We've had someone turn their back on us. Imagine what Jesus must have felt like being the king of glory who left the throne of heaven, who came to earth to have all of humanity turn against him. But yet, he didn't throw up his hands. The Bible says he could have called down ten legions of angels to come down and rescue him from the cross, but instead he endured the pain and suffering of the cross for you and for me so that we could have life and have it eternally and have it more abundantly. He took a stand when everyone else had neglected him. He kept standing. The question we need to ask ourselves as believers as we face uncertain times as believers, we must ask ourselves the question, if we are going to be met with opposition, what are we going to do? Are we going to turn tail and run, or are we going to keep standing for Christ, even if it's unpopular? I remember the ordination committee asked me, um, they asked me, of course, whenever, they, whenever they, I was ordained, I was uh, the First Baptist Church of Sunset Harbor down the coast, and called me to, to be their pastor, so I already had a position 
uh, to feel. But they asked me this question. They said, it's a very important question. What are you going to do if no one hires you? Say this, say this doesn't work out at this church. What are you going to do as a pastor, as a preacher, if no one hires you? Very, very good question. And I told him, I said, well, I guess I'll just keep on preaching anyhow. <laughs> Even if I have to go and preach and baptize squirrels out in the back creek, I'll, I'll do something. i got this gospel in my heart. i got to preach it, whether, whether, it's, whether it's in front of a crowd or whether it's just two or three. Uh, I've got to keep preaching. And one elderly pastor looked at me and said, that's the right answer. That's the right answer. Because if you're called by God, no matter if you have a lot of people with you or if you're standing by yourself, you've got to keep standing. You've got to keep working because life is short. You, you're on this earth for a certain period of time and God has something planned for your life. And we need to do it, whatever that may be. And if you don't believe me, ask the nominating committee. I'm sure they can find several things <laughs> that you can do where you can serve. Amen. Also, we see we remember the boldness of God's plan. In verse 28, the Bible again provides this mysterious co cohesion of God's divine plan with human uh, responsibility, with human actions. In verse 28, to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. This didn't take God by surprise, did it? He knew that this was going to happen. In fact, he had set this in motion before the foundation of the world. How in the world does that work out? I have no clue, <laughs> to be honest with you. I know somehow or in some way that we as human beings are responsible for our actions. We have the ability to choose X versus Y, yet God knows what choice we're going to make. Now, individuals like uh, astrophysicists, you may have heard of this guy, Neil deGrasse Tyson, they, uh, they, they say things like, well, we can't believe that a loving, powerful God exists in this world because there's so much evil taking place. Well, understand something. I mean, people ask that question, and it's a good question. I'm not dismissing the question, but understand something. In the book of Job, God gives us the answer. There's no way we can understand how all this works out. There's no way we can. We've just simply got to trust God. Because we have to understand that God is a good God. He loves us with an everlasting love. We also have to understand that God is a powerful God who can do all things at any time. So why is it that we endure some of the things we do? Job asked that question. And in the end, God gives him the answer by saying, Job, were you there when I set the foundation of the earth in place? Were you there when I set Pleiades and the Orion constellations in place? Were you there to see that? Did you, did you know what happened there? Job, are you able to, to manhandle these two big beasts known as Behemoth and Leviathan? don't know exactly what they are, but they're two massive beasts. Job, can you manhandle these and do you know how all this operates? And Job says no. So eventually God says, essentially, trust me. It's all going to work out. And in the end, God blessed over Job and given him twice what he had lost the end of his life was twice as better than the beginning. Understand, it's impossible for us to know how everything pieces together. As I was studying for this message, it dawned upon me. For us to have this type of understanding, we would have to know for the things that happen in our lives and the way we influence other, other individuals, the only way we could ever know why we go through certain things the way we do is if we knew every single person from the dawn of creation all the way to the end, 
everything that could be done, everything that will be done, everything that would be done under certain circumstances, we would also have to have exact understanding to know how every molecule fits every other molecule, every atom fits into every other atom, how every wind would blow into this certain part and do this or that. We would have to have intricate knowledge of every single atomic structure in the entire universe and how that plays against every other thing. The fact is we don't have that knowledge and God does. There's not a molecule that changes that God isn't aware of it. There's not a hair on your head that falls off that God is unaware of it. There's not a single thing that happens to you that God is unaware of it. And so what we have in Romans 8.28 is this promise of God. He didn't say that everything that happens in our life is going to be good. But what he says is that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purposes. That means all the bad... All the good, there's a purpose for it. And in the end, we don't understand it. We don't understand why we go through some of the things we do. But in the end, God is molding it and shaping it together to make something good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose so that the end, especially in eternity, will outweigh the momentary sufferings that we endure in this life. How does that work out? I don't know, you don't know, I don't think any of us can know. But what we do know is that the things where God has shown Himself faithful we can trust Him in the things that we don't understand as well. So we also see the empowering response, uh, the empowering, um, uh, excuse me, I, I need to move on to the next, next point <laughs> to get to where I'm going. Alright, so in other words, the, the final point of that second section was stop worrying, trust God, claim Romans 8.28 and all things will work out in the end. Number three, last but certainly not least, that's the prayer, prayerful empowerment of boldness. And we see in verses 29 through 31, they pray this prayer. Lord, uh, look on your threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. We see first and foremost the empowering petition for help that they're calling out asking God for his power because they recognize that he has the power to help them stand he has the power to allow them endure he has the power to provide them to persevere under any circumstance a lot of times we're like water and ele electricity water and electricity seeks the path of least resistance do they not they, 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 uh, if, if lightning strikes, that negative is going to seek the quickest path to get to a positive to equal itself out, whether that's through you or whether that's through something else. But understand that uh, the Christian life is not always the path of least resistance. Sometimes being a Christian makes it more difficult than not being a Christian because we understand that we have a calling in life. We understand that we have a purpose and that we have to endure even through the toughest of obstacles in life. Daryl Bach writes that the community leaves to God the moral judgment of their opponents and their actions. It does not pray explicitly for opponents to be crushed, nor does it seek to be spared opposition. It asks to face the opposition and to suffer faithfully. The, the, the seed of the church has been founded upon the blood of the martyrs because men and women were willing to give their lives for this gospel message. 
And understand, we would not be here today if it had not been for the sacrifice of many men and women in days gone by proclaiming this gospel, letting people know about the salvation found in Jesus Christ. What I'm simply trying to tell you, beloved, is that you may have to endure hardships in life, but that doesn't mean that God won't be there to help you, to strengthen you and empower you if you simply call upon His name. Verse 41, or excuse me, 31, we see also the empowering response for help. Verse 31 says, And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. Why was it shaken? Because of the power of the Holy Spirit. They had all been filled with the Holy Spirit and they all spoke the Word of God with boldness. When we ask, God hears. And He'll respond. And beloved, I want to tell you through the difficult, most difficult times of life I have found the Holy Spirit of God provides me the most comfort I can ever experience. It, it seems like I even experience the Holy Spirit the most while I'm going through the most difficult times of life. Anyone else ever been there? You feel that comforting presence of Almighty God when you're in the moments of despair and like anything else in life. I even remember at the funerals of my... I think I've spoken at least three, uh, all, all four of my grandparents have now passed. And I think of three out of the four grandparents, I think I spoke at their funerals. And people ask me, how did you do that? It wasn't easy. But it was only through the power of the Holy Spirit that I was able to do that. But I never will forget at Grandpa's funeral and at Grandma's as well, it seemed like there was just a glow in that church at Albion Baptist Church in Westfield, North Carolina. It seemed like there was just a glow in that assembly. There was a glow in that church because it just you could feel the Holy Spirit of God. I mean, the Spirit of God was there so thick you could just feel Him, feel His touch, feel His power in that place, and feel His love and His compassion. Three things immediately uh, followed the disciples' prayer. First, we see that the place shook with the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh, that's my prayer for Huntsville Baptist Church. That's my prayer for all of our churches and our association. That the Holy Spirit would come down and rock us to the core of who we are. That He would come and rock us and shake us and mold us and make us into who He wants us to be. That the place shook with the power of the Holy Spirit. We also see that it was a, uh, that secondly the believers were filled with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. They were directed by God's power. They personally experienced the Spirit of God. And lastly the people were empowered to speak. God does not call us to be spectators. Amen? God calls us to get on the side, off the sidelines and into the game that the gospel, of the gospel message that He has called us. You have a calling that no one else has. And God has given you a gift that no one else has. And He expects you to use it. Because understand, beloved, if we don't use the gifts that God has given us, He can very easily take them away and give them to someone else. Amen? I've seen that happen too many times as well. God has given us a gift. He's expecting us to use it. In fact, I, I have no doubt in my mind, the seven years, whenever I was out of the ministry, I, I have no doubt in my mind that God probably had blessings upon me that I could have experienced, that others could experience, that were given to someone else because of my own rebellion against, against the, the pastoral ministry, my own rebellion against the Lord. So use the works, use the uh, gifts and abilities that God has given you. Let me close with this. One of the most powerful prayers in the midst of suffering comes from the horrors of Ravensbrück concentration camp as recorded by Corrie Tinboom in her book The Hiding Place where she was also imprisoned. 
The prayer found in the clothing of a dead child. The clothing of a dead child reads as follows. O Lord, remember not only the men and women of good will, but also those of ill will. But do not remember all the suffering that they have inflicted upon us. Instead, remember the fruits we have borne because of this suffering. Our fellowship, our loyalty to one another, our humility, our courage, our generosity, the greatness of heart that has grown from this trouble. When our persecutors come to be judged by you, let all of these fruits that we have borne be their forgiveness. What a powerful prayer. After losing someone's child to the horrors of this concentration camp, they were still able to say, God have mercy on them. Now, I don't know, I'll be honest with you, I don't know that I could have prayed a prayer like that, experiencing the things that they did. Not at least in my own flesh. But the power of the Holy Spirit gives us the ability to stand, even during the worst horrors that we may be experienced in life. He gives us the empowerment to face uncertain days. And beloved, we need people of boldness now more than ever before. We need individuals to take a stand for Christ, to be completely and 100% sold out, not just giving Him just a little portion of their lives, but completely their lives, giving them all of their lives. We need to be able to come together. And I'm not just talking about Huntsville Baptist Church. I'm talking about the church universal. I'm talking about the church across the United States and across the world, that we as individuals could be united, put aside all these petty differences, and be united for the gospel of Jesus Christ so that we can make a difference in this world because we have the power, we have the ability if we'll simply seek His face and depend and trust upon Him. Amen? So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today and you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, let me encourage you to come down and receive Him today. Maybe you're here today and maybe you're struggling with some issue in life. We would encourage you also to come down and maybe rededicate your life unto Him. Or maybe you're here today and you'd like to join the ministry of Huntsville Baptist Church. We encourage you to do that as well. Whatever God is saying and doing in your heart and your life, we just ask you to simply respond according to the Spirit's call. Dear kind of gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you, Lord, for all that you do for us and all that you continue to do. Well, we just ask, Lord, I don't know why you had me bring this message this morning, but we just ask, Lord, whatever the reason is, whatever the cause may be, we just ask, Lord, that you would just use it for your glory and for your honor. We ask, Lord, that you would just move in and through this assembly, Lord. If there's anyone struggling with, with a certain issue in their life, we just ask, Lord, that you would provide them that strength, that boldness to face whatever it is they're facing. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your love and compassion. We just ask that you would lead us, guide us, and direct us. For it's in Jesus' name we ask all these things. Amen and amen. Would you please stand as we sing our final selection? 312.
expressed on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of bellatorchristi.com or its affiliates. The Bellator Christi podcast is a production of bellatorchristi.com and is protected under Creative Commons copyright. All rights reserved. The theme song is Crucified, written by John and Michaela Lemonese, performed by Crosby Lane, and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit bellatorchristi.com and subscribe so that you can receive all the articles and podcasts in your inbox for free. Catch us on iTunes, TuneIn, and Stitcher. For Brian Chilton, this is Burl Childer saying God bless, and we'll see you the next time as we enter into the arena of ideas. When I first wrote Evidence That Demands a Verdict, the truth wasn't so much an issue as what is truth, can you know truth, but now it is. Some of the issues are different because of the internet, like the claim that Jesus doesn't even exist. Are there other Gospels that should have been in the Bible? Is Christianity just a copycat religion? So when we updated this, because I hear it from students so often, I thought we have to have the single best chapter that responds to this claim, and I think we do. We had to rewrite Evidence Demands a Verdict because there's so much new evidence out there. It's like one Greek scholar said, the evidence now for the scriptures is like a tsunami, an avalanche that is hitting, and we want you to be aware of that. We want every young person, every student, every pastor, every professor to be aware of the new evidence out there. To understand not just what they believe, but why they believe it. Evidence that demands a verdict. On sale everywhere, October 3rd, 2017. Go to hashtag true evidence. for people from all around this great nation who believe this is a great nation. We're looking for the best and the brightest and people who believe in goodness and honesty and liberty. If we've just described you, enroll in Liberty University. Online, we've been doing it as long as anyone. Our campus, just beautiful. If you believe in liberty, know that liberty believes in you. Liberty University online or on campus. To find out more, go to liberty.edu or call 855-466-9220. Hi, Greg Kokel here for Stand to Reason. And at SCR, we have always cared about Christianity worth thinking about. And when I found out that the SES conference this year was about pursuing a faith that thinks... I realize that if you go to this conference, you're not only going to have the information you need to deal with people who challenge your convictions, you're going to have the information that will help you deal with the toughest critic you'll ever face, and that's you. That's why I hope to see you there at the SES conference, October 13th and 14th in Charlotte, pursuing a faith that thinks. Register now for the National Conference on Christian Apologetics by going to conference.ses.edu. Early bird pricing ends August 1st, so be sure to go and register now. Once again, that's conference.ses.edu. The National Conference on Christian Apologetics 2017, October 13th and 14th at Calvary Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. 
pursuing a faith that thinks.